This is Unemployable, the podcast for independent workers, freelancers, Dow contributors, and other self-employed folks who want to own their employment and become self-sovereign. We may work alone, but we can be unemployable together. This episode of Unemployable is brought to you by Opolis, providing healthcare benefits and payroll for the self-employed. Join the community at opolis.co. This episode of Unemployable is also supported by Opolis partner Darian Advisors, a human-centric crypto tax and advisory firm. Go to www.darianadvisors.io to book a free consultation. Mention Unemployable for a discount. 53% of Gen Z prefers freelance work over traditional corporate employment. With all that said, it's imperative that the independent workforce has the proper tools and platforms that help support and strengthen the movement. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Rafael Espinal, a former New York City council member who's on a mission to support and champion the rights of freelancers and independent workers as the president of the Freelancers Union. Also joined by John Paller, founder and executive steward of Opolis. Rafael Espinal, a pioneering political leader from Brooklyn, brings a wealth of experience from his time in the state office and as New York City Council member. He's known for his innovative solutions to urban challenges, such as the establishment of the Office of Nightlife and initiatives addressing food policy and climate issues. As the current executive director of the Freelancers Union, Rafael has been instrumental in expanding the organization's reach and advocating for independent workers' rights. His leadership has led to the development of valuable resources and support networks for the growing freelance workforce, reinforcing his commitment to fair treatment and equal rights in the labor market. Raphael, welcome to Unemployable. I'd like to start by asking you about your personal journey and how did you get started supporting and advocating for freelancers and independent workers? Well, thanks for having me, Josh. It truly is a pleasure to be on. Well, I started my journey in politics really, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, especially in a neighborhood that historically has gone underrepresented, in my in my opinion, has gone without a strong voice within the halls of government. You know, I, I've seen firsthand of what, what, what can happen when you have communities that are disinvested in, not heard, and the impacts that has on, on this community. So when I ran for office, you know, my, my, my main goals and, and what I wanted to accomplish was to really bring the voices of my community to the forefront. How do we address historical socioeconomic issues that they've, that they've dealt with, given the lack of represent, representation that, that the, the community has experienced over the years. And it's really what guided what was my moral compass when I was doing my work. And, you know, I, I immediately learned, you know, someone who didn't have a political background or, or even a governmental legislative background, what I quickly learned is that government, yeah, of course, and you can agree, works very slowly. But also government is very reactive, right? It's not really thinking ahead of how to deal with issues. And I, I quickly learned that there, there's a, there's a lack in, in, in representation that's thinking about the issues of tomorrow. And it's really what helped me, I think, one, respect the, the work the freelancers union was doing because they were advocating for a workforce that has gone underrepresented, that they didn't have a voice. And two, they were thinking about how do we shape the future? Of work, and it's kind of really, it really, really tied so into reframe. what I was passionate yeah, about in terms of my community that I grew up in to a community that I felt were were, were facing similar challenges and issues for those reasons. Your career journey is, is quite remarkable, Rafael. Could you could you right. share how your background in the state office and and as a New York City Council member prepared you for your current role leading the Freelancers Union? Absolutely. I mean, my my work in in government 
has given me the background, I think, that I needed when I took over the Freelancers Union, especially during the pandemic. When I took on the role of executive director, it, it was March 2nd of 2020. Nice it was about two weeks before government, government mandated shutdowns have taken over, especially here in, in New York City. And immediately my mind went into overdrive and I started thinking of like, well, how do I tap into my skills of crisis management, my skills of, of raising the voices of a community that, have, that has gone underrepresented for a long time? I really start thinking about how do I, how do I use my experience to uplift the voices of freelancers who I believe have been voiceless through through throughout throughout the it's it's throughout the history of independent work and the pandemic is, was really that turning point for me because I was able to turn on you know go I was able to sorry this is one of those points where I lost my train of thought but I was okay. able to go go on all cylinders and 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 really think about how do I create a, a support system for freelancers who I knew were going to go without a paycheck, who were going to go without income. When when work started, began to dry up because of these government, government mandated shutdowns and because they didn't have access to the basic benefits that traditional employees have had. For example, unemployment insurance, right? Paid leave. And we did two things. One, of course, was advocate directly to Senator Chuck Schumer and, 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 and Congress about the need to include independent workers in any sort of relief packages that were released at the time. When we think about the CARES Act, which created the pandemic unemployment assistance, right? We advocated for that assistance to include independent workers, giving independent workers for the first time in this country's history access to unemployment insurance benefits. Two, we had the, the paycheck protection loans that, that were released were initially being spoke, were talked about being targeted towards, you know, your, your traditional brick and mortar businesses. And corporations, we advocated to ensure that the micro business and the independent worker were able to tap into those funds and also were put in front of the line when those applications opened. And then, you know, lastly, we, we as an organization work with the private market to create a fund called the Freelancers Relief Fund because we knew that the, that the immediate need was getting cash in the hands of independent workers. And we were able to do that immediately. And we were giving folks cash grants up to $500 to help them get through that get through that phase in which all of these systems that were being put in place like the pandemic and public insurance give them the dollars they needed to get through through that time so you know it, it's funny the, the the dots did connect from my time in government to to my switch to the union but I, I would say that that my experience understanding how to how to manage uh crises has really put me in the right place at the right time especially uh for a workforce that has gone underrepresented and, and has been in need for a very long time you you may not have started as a politician, but that was you, you impressively answered my next three questions. <laughs> That's really well done. So I'm just going to fold in John here real quick so that we can we kick off our, our conversation. John, for those who may not be familiar with Opolis, could you provide a brief introduction to the organization and what unique offerings Opolis provides to independent workers? Yeah, sure. So not dissimilar from Raphael, my experience has been that freelancers or just people working independently don't get a lot of attention or resources thrown their direction to support their journeys and kind of how they want to frame them. So having been a part of the employment systems framework for over 20 years, I've had a front row seat to seeing a bunch of things that that kind of didn't work, in my opinion. And so what we did is we built a platform and it's a cooperative so we call it a digital employment cooperative for simplicity you could think about it like rei for employment so when you become a member you actually become an owner 
and you're accessing then the shared services of employment that you would experience at a large Fortune 500 company. So you have accounting support, uh, you, you get your payroll, you get all of your group healthcare benefits, you get everything that you would normally get at a traditional job, but you're still independent. So you get all the, you get all the, the, the upside and support systems that aren't normally present for independent workers without actually having to give up your independence. So Opolis is a fully integrated employment platform providing payroll benefits, resources, support, healthcare and alike to the independent worker. So it sounds like there's much room for collaboration here, which is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'll give a little back background on that. So, you know, I've, I've known of the freelancers union for as long as I can remember. And I was introduced to Sarah Horowitz, the founder, probably five, six, seven years ago. And, you know, she had just such an interesting story about why the Freelancers Union was created in the, in, to begin with. And it, it very much aligns with what Raphael has talked about and just underrepresented uh, workers, it, a large cohort of them being independent, sort of choosing their own adventure, I suppose you could say. And when you look at the game incentives of the system, the system doesn't actually really want people to work independently. They don't say that. That's the that's the quiet part I just said out loud. But and there's a bunch of reasons for that. And I don't want to get into the, the to the guts of it unless you want to, Josh. But it's always intrigued me because ever since I started talking about the concept of democratized employment in 2005, I had sort of a moral epiphany, I guess you could say, around how people are treated when it comes to their employment when they're temporary workers, independent, you know, they're second-class citizens. I mean, they're not really, the systems don't even exist to, to get the same support and services. You can't even do it. Like, so it's not like, well, you just kind of have to do it on your own. Like, you don't really even get to participate. So there's disincentives, I guess you could say, or big downsides to being independent. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. When you look at vibrancy and productivity and creativity and innovation, this comes from being independent and taking risks, and we should be encouraging those things, not discouraging them. So, yeah, I think collaborations are, are really big with, with the reputation and, and history and legacy of Freelancers Union being such a stalwart in support of the independent worker. There's no more natural partnership for us than Freelancers Union. Because we really, it, what's funny is when Raphael and I first had a chat, you know, I'm sure he goes into these conversations skeptical because everybody and their dog wants to talk to their team. But like, we're just like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. You know, like we really see the world from the, you know, very similar lens that gives us alignment in, in our goals. And we happen to have an integrated tool set that, that fits very well with the, constituency that they've got in their membership. And it, it fits well for us as well, because, you know, our members also value what Freelancers Union values. So, you know, there's been a lot of cross-pollination going on there, and we see we foresee a lot more to come. We've got a lot of freelancers that, that watch this show. What, let's let's walk them through the journey of membership in, in Freelancers Union and Annapolis and how, how from uh, invoicing clients through being able to pay rent or get a mortgage, like from start to finish. Let's go through there. 
I would say this. I mean, if you're someone who, who's um, first starting out as a freelancer, of course, you're 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 approaching this with 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 the idea that you have the skills you need to be able to build your business and offer clients uh, a product, right? But through that journey, there there is a, a huge administrative aspect of it that may not tie to your knowledge of your profession and of your business, right? So it's it's, it's all these important things. You know, we've learned from our membership that. Just about 25% of freelancers always use a contract every time they, they, they work with a client. Every time Is it really that low? 25%? That low, 25%. Which means you have 75% of freelancers who are going in, into a relationship with a client in which they're not protected. And what that means that they may not get paid on time or they may not even get paid at all. And even if they go through the small claims court process that currently exists to collect on those those overdue funds, they don't have the proof to show to the judge that they are act- they're actually owed this money for the work they've completed, right? Mm. Uh, you, you know, so you you also at the end of that journey, you know, after you've had hopefully a successful year as a freelancer, you've got to do your taxes, right? And you have to collect your ten nine nines and make sure you're reporting everything correctly, all of your expenses all of your income. One, you want to report all of your expenses because you want to make the best of out of all, all of the tax benefits that, that come with that. You want to report all of your income because you don't want the IRS knocking on your door saying you owed X amount of money in taxes, which then turns into fines down the line, right? And through that journey, you know, you also have to start thinking about yourself, right? You know, how do I ensure that I can see a doctor if I get sick? How can I take time off to care for, for a family member? Uh, how how do I get proof of income? We, you know, one thing we've learned is that there's a lot of landlords and the building management companies that find it that, that give freelancers a difficult time and so helping them secure an apartment because they don't have like a like a proof of income from an employer. So there there are a lot of these aspects, right? That you know, I believe Opolis is is able to come in and, and help uh, provide a support system for those freelancers, right? At the end of the day. Uh, but we, what we do internally is try to build these strong partnerships with companies like Opolis. Uh, try to, try to compile all the information you need to ensure you have the tools you need to succeed. Um, and, and be truly a support system for you. You know, we want to make sure that when you come to the freelancers union, uh, that you are, you have the runway you need to, to, to be a successful freelancer at the end of the day. What I've always appreciated about Freelancers Union is as long as you guys have been around, you've never wavered from like what I call the benevolence factor and actually being able to provide these resources to people in a way that's easy to understand, that isn't, you know, tainted with a bunch of salesmanship or trying to get it. You know, it's not like a bait and switch. You guys don't ever do anything like that. And so I, th- I think that's I think that knowledge is really where it starts, Josh. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things I'm most looking forward to is, is our next chapter of partnership where we really take knowledge and the communication of this knowledge to the next level through new mediums of video and other experiential applications and other things that like really help people get, you know, close this education gap. I think the the most interesting thing that I've seen I think to your point, Raphael, I think this underscores or at least illustrates it. 25% of people are using a contract. I don't know the exact number, but I wouldn't, I would probably venture to bet that the number is pretty similar around those that actually incorporate, right? That actually get an LLC or some other entity to protect them. I mean, forget business insurance, forget accounting best practices, forget tax payments, forget all of these things. 
when you're a, let's say you're a marketing creative, let's say you're a software developer, let's say you're a massage therapist. How many of these independent workers actually know what best practices are in running a small business? They don't. Like you're, they went to school to be a massage therapist, not a business manager, right? So that's like an MBA that you've got to have. So if you look at the comparison in like when you work at a big company, all that apparatus is built around you. They call that the shared services apparatus, right? So you've got accounting and legal and, you know, taxes and paychecks and compliance and all these things that happen. Well, so I, I'll, I'll pivot from that statement to talking about to answering your question, Josh, about how it works in, in the Opolis framework. So let's say you're a free, freelancer union member and you're one of these guys that or gals or people that have not incorporated and don't have contracts and things like that. Let's say you're one of those folks. OK, so you run into Opolis because let's say right now, this time of year being open enrollment, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, Josh. Um, I'm looking for healthcare insurance for my family because the state exchange program that I was on this year jacked my rates 25%, right? And I'm like, you know, so I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to look around. Well, Freelancers Union sends me an email saying, hey, look, check out this new partnership with, that we have with Opolis. It's a employment in a box for independent workers dedicated to employment or to employing independent workers only. And it's a uh, community owned member owned thing, just like freelancers union kind of deals. Like that's cool. You know, like I like this. And then you go find that health insurance is much less expensive than what you were finding on the state exchanges. And it's actually better coverage and living in New York state exchange rates are, are, my understanding is they just ballooned a bunch with, you know, just inflation and everything happening. So then I go through a process of the first step is I've got to incorporate myself. So we have a tool inside of the system that actually will help what we call professionalize your business. So this is getting what we call an EIN. That's an employer identification number. So for freelancers who aren't using contracts and aren't using organizations, this is the first place to start. So then we'll help you facilitate that process. It's pretty inexpensive. We've actually negotiated prices with all of our partners to make sure that they're very low and affordable for people. Depending on where you decide to incorporate, there might be ongoing annual fees for what they call registered agent, which is if you don't have a physical presence in, an, in another state in which you are incorporated, you have to have a physical presence, which there are people that you can pay to do that. It's usually a couple hundred bucks a year. And from there, now you have an entity that has an employer identification number and can employ people. From there, you're going to set up your payroll. So in order to have that proof of income that Raphael was talking about, you've got to have a, a regular paycheck. Now, the question here is, well, who's paying the regular paycheck, right? Well, you are. You're going to pay yourself. And this paycheck is going to come twice a month on the first and third Fridays. And you're going to determine how much you pay yourself. Now, one tip here, pro tip, if you're billing through your organization, let's say $150,000 a year, and it could be all year. It could be super spiky. It doesn't matter. You can pick less of a number to actually pay yourself as a paycheck. You don't have to pay yourself the entire 150K. So that to your business is called revenue. And to you is called income. Now, when it, come, when it passes through as a paycheck, so your business earns revenue. And then you actually pay yourself income 
So if I pay myself, let's say, 80,000 out of the 160, I can do that so long as it meets the test of a, quote, reasonable wage by IRS standards, which for your profession may vary. But most of the time, if you're paying yourself, you know, even marginally above the minimum in your state in what you live in New York, I think it's what, Josh, six, Raphael, do you know the minimum FLSA exempt 70. wage, 70K? Yeah. yeah. So if you're paying yourself above 70K, then, you know, nobody's going to really probably say much to you in most cases. And there you go. So you're going to set your payroll. Now, when it comes to invoicing your clients, we also have tools through Zero Software and a few other partners that you can have a set of books for your business, which is best practice. You can hook up a bank account that's exclusive to your business, which is also best practice. And you can run all of these transactions through your account and they automatically track, right? So they'll track through the system. So as you're processing your payroll, invoicing clients, receiving monies, like all of those things can be automated in, in modern softwares that are used via browser. And it's pretty nice. Okay. So that way you've got your business happening, you pay, things are being collected, and then you can pay yourself on a regular basis. Now, we get a question often about what happens if I'm, you know, not working at the moment? What happens? Like, am I protected or how do I pay myself if I don't have any money? Well, here's the trick. It's still up to you to manage your cash flow. But remember what I said about 160000 a year in billings in revenue, but we're only paying ourselves eighty. When you do that, you usually have a rainy day fund. If you pay yourself all the money that you get right away, then you don't have a rainy day fund. It's always best practice to manage your cash flow by having that rainy day fund. So when you have that month off in between gigs or between contracts or whatever you want to call it, you can just continue to pay yourself and you don't lose your employment. In fact, you might be off contract. Your business might not be billing but you actually are still employed. It's really pretty cool. So now who's my employer? Well, the community is technically legally your employer. So we call that the employer of record in the legal speak compliance world. So the employment or employer of record has the responsibility to file what's called 941s, do federal tax remittances, uh, provide the benefits, administer the benefits and all that. So who's that? Who's the guys behind the curtain? The guys behind the curtain are just like you. They're just freelancers working on a business that is owned by its members, like REI, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that it's member-owned. Okay, so we're all here providing shared services, group health care, benefits, proof of income, these things that our, our members need in order to function in the life that they choose. So the adventure that they chose might be a whole bunch of different things. But we don't care where anybody works from, with whom, and how much they work. We're here to provide the tools, resources, and support necessary so they can actually live effectively with the choices that they've made. And that when it comes to taxes and checking the compliance boxes and all the boring, what I call necessary evils of employment, you don't have to be an expert with this stuff anymore because just like the big corporations who do it for you, now, Opolis will do it for you, and you're part of the, the success, though, in the end. So all, all of this sounds pretty great. If I was to take the stack of Freelancers Union and, and Opolis together as a freelancer, how much is this going to cost me? Well, I can't speak for Raphael, but last I knew, it's free to join Freelancers Union. Yeah, it's free to join on our end, for sure. Yeah. Uh, go on our website, freelancersunion.org. 
You can set up an account that puts you directly in touch with our team, gets you on our national newsletter, opens you up to benefits like all of the educational documents we have to discounts with products that we have partnerships with. And then also, if you live in New York City, you, you'd be lucky, you'll be lucky enough to be able to work for free at our co-working hub, uh, which is in, oh, cool. in Brooklyn, New York. But again, sign me up. Free to join with us. And then the partnership we have with Opolis, I'm sure John can speak to. But again, it, it's, a, it's a partnership that at the end of the day it was, was baked in with the idea of ensuring that freelancers have the, the tools they need to succeed. Yeah. So I, I talk about cost a little bit differently with freelancers than I do, you know, sort of enterprise folks, because freelancers are just regular people living their lives. And it's about the net. Right. So the biggest thing that I'll, I'll showcase is our savings on healthcare. In, in, in states like California and New York, which obviously have the densest population in the country, it's not uncommon for us to see people, especially with family plans, saving up to 40 percent. I mean, the amount of money that people are spending on family plans in, in large states, especially if they're high earners, because I don't know, this is a little little known fact, but the state exchanges underwrite you based in part on income and age. So if you're in your mid fifties and you make a quarter million dollars a year, you're paid a lot, especially if you've got a family plan. So it all depends. Every situation is different. So this is not a blanket thing that I'm saying, but to give some context to that, um, there's a particular freelancer that we know who's a member who in California, mid fifties, couple of teenage daughters and a, and a husband, a family plan paying almost $5,000 a month for healthcare insurance through the state. Now it's about 2000. So net net, we're saving her about 30 something thousand dollars a year in pre-tax money. Post-tax, it's easily $25,000. So no brainer on that front. Now you add then what's the cost? What's the catch? Well, there is no catch really. It's $20 to join. And that's mostly just a, a checkbox thing for compliance. It's a one-time thing. And then any other fees that exist are based on pay payroll processing. Now, any other service in the country is going to charge you more than we're charging, but we charge 1% of the aggregate processing. So if you process $100,000 a year in total benefits, payroll, taxes, everything, you're going to pay $1,000 uh, a year, which is about 50 bucks a paycheck. So it costs about $50 a paycheck, but when you net that off of savings and discounts and other things that you're getting through other products and services, you're actually saving money. Usually, most people are saving money. If at worst, we usually see sort of a wash for people. It doesn't really cost you anything else. Now, there's the implied cost or the environmental cost of not doing your taxes right or not doing compliance right or not maybe losing some money because you don't have a good contract. We can also help with those things. You know, there's there's a lot of other potential costs out there, like even opportunity costs and time, the time value of money. Just Time. We don't have to go that yeah. far down the rabbit we hole. Don't, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that basically, though, Opolis creates efficiencies for that help you avoid other costs that might exist down the road somewhere. Okay. So I've been a member of both for a while. And I, you're right, I haven't paid dues to the freelancers union. But for most unions, you do pay dues. Or at least when I think of a union, I, I think of paying dues. So how does, what does is, what is your model look like? And why, why don't I pay dues? Yeah, well, and at our core, we are a nonprofit organization. And our mission is to be a space in which we are educating and advocating 
and creating community for the independent workforce in order for them to thrive. So charging a membership was never really baked in into our model and how we're going to approach our work. But at the end of the day, the way that our members are able to support the organization is threefold. One, of course, you can make a basic donation as you were making to, to any nonprofit that is tax deductible. But two is really about really into, you know, you as a freelancer really interacting with the partnerships we have been able to build for you and, and, and the system we have been able to build for you. Once you decide to purchase through our group insurance plans or decide to uh, use uh, systems like Opolis, we, the organization receives uh, a commission that goes back into our advocacy and educational work. So it's kind of, it's really like a mutual, I like to think about it as like a mutualist kind of uh, organization because we our, our work is only able to work if our members are in, are engaged with what we are we are doing. And can I can I say something about this? I I really appreciate the intentionality around maintaining benevolence here. I really do. I mean, I I you know, Josh mentioned that most unions pay or charge a lot of dues, right, to be a member. And when you look at the value that's get, that gets created on the flip side of those dues, you know, there's a, there's a tension, you know, and there's a lot of corruption that happens in unions. And if you think about the game incentives, it's all about that revenue, right? You got to keep the member, you got to force people in, like you see forced jurisdictional union membership. You see all these things that like people don't have a choice. They have to pay all this money to these people that don't provide any value. And what I really think is an admirable about the work that you guys do and how you've set it up is um, that mutualistic dynamic. I think it's 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 remarkable. It's so it's such a, a good example of a well designed thing because you're you're not receiving revenue until there's value created, right? And I, I just I just think that's fantastic. So I'm I'm sorry to interject, but like that that it just I think it matters a lot to point that out. De- definitely. And, you know, we, we do have we do work with a lot of labor unions in, in partnership to get a lot of our work done. So I, I don't want to discredit too much of the work they're doing. because they, No, they, they do. A lot, they do a lot of good work. I, I think, though, that there are there's some flaws in, in the design that I think you guys have a, a much more sustainable design. Let's put it that way. Yeah, appreciate it. So looking forward to. 2024 and, and beyond, what are some of the initiatives that, and this question's for Raphael, but John too, what, what are some of the initiatives that we're looking forward to? How, how can I, as a member of the union support? And, and I think you've got like the freelancers hub and spark chapters. And I imagine there are others you'd like to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's really, it, I don't want to say, Back to what I said before, but anyways, I think what you know, some ways you can you can get involved as a, as a member is definitely by gain, being engaged to the information we're, we're putting out there, right? Of course, a lot of it is designed to give you the tools you need to succeed, but some of it is also ways you can get engaged in the advocacy work we're doing, right? We have about two or three policy goals that we're really focused on right now. For example, one of them is called the Freelancers and Free Act which creates a regulatory structure that ensures you get paid within 30 days, that you have the right to a contract and protection from retaliation from a client if you request those two things. And and fourth, if you do in situation in which a client 
is is late on an invoice or it doesn't pay you at all, you now have the city or the state that you're that you're living in being able to step in and push that client to pay you on time. And that is that is a, a law that's currently now in, in that's currently now exists in the city of New York. Wow. Just most recently the state of New York, just a few months ago, the state of Illinois signed signed that bill into law. And also the city of LA. So we have a lot more work to do to get it across the nation. But that that is the work we're doing on, on your behalf. So every, every time we approach local elected leaders, it helps to have members engage in those conversations, understanding the process so that they can use their own voice to reach out to the local elected officials to support those bills. Two, of course, is, is the is the is the monthly meetup groups that we host around the country. It's a great way for you to get connected to local independent workers that that are doing similar work to your to what you're doing or might be helpful along your own journey and then then three of course is just just reaching out to us you know and and engaging with with what we're putting out there in terms of, of products you know we're doing this work of curating these partnerships to ensure that if you decide to create an llc that you're working with a company that you're gonna get the best deal on if you decide to file your taxes at the end of the year you're working with a, with a reputable tax company that you're going to get the, your best deal on and to have the needs of the, of the independent workforce in mind. So we encourage you. Yes, it's free to join, but it is only value if you if you use us. It's like a gym membership, right? You can pay $35 <laughs> a month, but if you're not going to the gym, you're not going to build any muscle. So so we encourage you to come 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 uh, knock on our door and, and, and uh, have your voice heard. Great. Uh, John? Yeah. Well, I mean, what we focus on, uh, I, I really admire Raphael's, and work in politically because it's such a, it's such hard work. And he know, I mean, he's obviously done this as a councilman for years and years, but um, the, the advocacy for freelancers in the political sphere is very important work. So I'll just say, thank you for doing that. On our side, we focus on product a lot and, and trying to focus on innovation through building tools that people want to use. So what we're focused on over the next couple of years is full integration into a single tool set. So imagine a world where this situation that Raphael is talking about, where getting an invoice paid is really difficult, right? Because you've got a, you know, a client who's not paying you for whatever reason, they're just not communicating and the checks in the mail, my dog ate my homework kind of stuff. Like, and, and, you, and they, they do this because you don't have any power, right? And they, again, they don't say this out loud, but. What do you have to like go to court? Sometimes, yeah, you got to go to small claims even a lot of times, which is a, a brutal process because small claims is so uh, rapid fire that if you don't have documentation, if you don't have good evidence, if you don't have, they'll just dismiss it because they're like, look, you didn't do your work. What do you want us? What do you want from us? It's really hard to adjudicate these things. So what if, what if, what if as part of the Opolis stack, there was a, you know, what's called, there's a thing in the employment world called vendor management systems, which is where the payments are made to various suppliers by a centralized uh, system. What if Opolis replaced that system for independent workers where you could plug into Opolis as your billing system and your bills are paid to you through that system? What if Opolis became this big powerhouse of a billing payments and collection service on behalf of freelancers in addition to doing the employment and payroll and proof income and benefits and all that. So what I'm highlighting here is sort of the vertical integration of the supply chain of being independent, right? So into the, into the tool set. 
So whether it's finding work, which might, it was on also on the roadmap, um, I wouldn't call them job boards, but call them next generation marketplaces where you can find work without bullshit and without fees. You can uh, find groups of like-minded people to actually collaborate and work on things together all the way then through engaging your client, contracts automated into a system that b handles your procurement, into the work execution where you, the billings go out, and then into the paychecks at the back end, then to tax preparation. So we're, we're, all the concepts that Raphael's talked about, we're talking about productizing them into a vertically integrated stack. So right now we're very much on the employment, payroll benefits, but really taking it to the next level. That's where we're looking at things in the next couple of years. Cool. I'm imagining a future where we're harnessing the power of the 55 to 90 million freelancers. Well, think about it yeah. this way. There's a concept of in VC called fragmentation, right? They love talking about fragmented markets and looking for consolidation opportunities. And what, what this is, this is not a consolidation of control per se. This is a consolidation, consolidation of voice. And using the power of 90 million freelancers by the time 2028 rolls around to be able to like actually effectuate change and, you know, really facilitate healthier outcomes from a commercial standpoint. That's really powerful. In fact, the largest employer in the U.S. right now, fragmented, is the U.S. labor market is like a couple, you know, maybe a couple million people. I think it's like Walmart or something like that. From a yeah, from a staffing company standpoint, it's like Kelly, I think, is like 1.5 million. It's not very big. Look at how many people are in the labor force. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of people. And there's a lot that just sort of dabble and who knows what the actual full number is. But there's 340 million people in the country and growing. So what's that going to look – what would happen if we actually were able to consolidate this voice – into a public utility infrastructure for employment. Well, you're looking at the world's largest employer is what you're looking at. But it's not, it's not constituted of, you know, this top-down command and control, paternalistic, you know, extractive mechanism that's only there to serve its shareholders, right? It's literally a public utility infrastructure that's serving independent workers in a way they couldn't do on their own. But in, a, in, a, in an aggregated sense, think about the power of that voice. I mean, I think it's unprecedented in potential on what it could actually do. And these, you know, situations where the freelancers kind of picked on, that's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. That dynamic's going to change. Independent workers of the world unite. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's very important to not under, underestimate the potential of that that power and also to wield it fairly. You know, I think mutualism is a really important part of healthy growth and commercial vibrancy and, and GDP and just productivity, you know? So I think managing benevolence at its core to its members, but also looking for reciprocity and relationship between labor and capital. You know, it's, I think labor understands that it depends on capital to survive. I think it understands that. But it shouldn't be just subservient. It shouldn't be one-way street. You know, we've heard all sorts of quotes over the years of, well, you got to remember, you work for the company. They don't work for you. You better do what they want. 
yeah, okay. You know, like that sort of <laughs> attitude's a little bit antiquated nowadays. It might be true factually, but like relationally, there used to be a whole healthy dose of trust and loyalty that underpin the social contract of employment. That doesn't exist anymore. So what's what social contract do we have? Just cons- you know, you know, we've we've commoditized labor essentially. We have. So we've gotten away from the human side, which is that mutualism, it's that reciprocity. So I think I think most independent workers would agree that we're not looking to like demonize the people with money, the capital, the the employers. We just want a more mutualistic fair shake. And I think that's the end game that we can create a system-wide mutualistic relationship for employment through this public utility framework that we've built at scale because it, it's only powerful when it becomes big. Now what's big? I don't know. A few hundred thousand would sound pretty good to me, you know, at this point, but I envision this could grow literally to millions and I envision it will actually. And, you know, my interest aside, I think there's just enough reason for that to happen that's pent up and all this legislative work, all the, the ground and pound work, all the yelling and screaming and fighting over these things. It doesn't seem that necessary to me. If we had a better system that could actually protect these things inherently, right? Because of the power of the voice, right? Because right now independent workers have no voice, you know, even, even all the work that we've done 20 years of this stuff fighting for this, it's just now that we're actually seeing the the wheels really start to move on it, mm-hmm. you know, in a meaningful way. I think there's been wins here and there. We've sort of inched our way, but I think now I think there's a tidal wave coming, and it's it's going to be you know in, in in part to a lot of different efforts. Freelancers Union being a part, a big one of them, and Opolis being another one. And I think together it makes it even more powerful. John Raphael, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us today and share your valuable insights. Our listeners have learned so much about how they can leverage platforms like Opolis and Freelancers Union to thrive in the freelancing economy. Your expertise has illuminated the many opportunities available for independent workers. Before we wrap today's show up, I'd love if each of you could share any calls to action or resources you'd recommend for our listeners who are eager to learn more about your organizations and what you're doing. John, perhaps you could start by pointing our audience to where they could find out more about the services Opolis provides. Yeah, open enrollment, open enrollment, open enrollment. This is the time of year that everyone's looking at their healthcare choices. They're evaluating what they're going to do for themselves and their families. Everyone's holding their nose at the price increases that have come through the state exchanges and everywhere else for that matter. We've been able to work a situation where we've got a new offering that we've been able to keep our value plans exactly the same in cost as they were this year. And our premium plans are still available and we were able to mitigate the price increases to under double digits. So like pretty amazing stuff when you talk about renewals and all these things that go on under the hood, it's really difficult to do. But check out opolis.co, go to freelancersunion.org. You can find us there as well. If you're a Freelancers Union member, Go to Freelancers Union first and click through to Opolis because that will make sure that Freelancers Union gets credit for your referral. It's important that we support the Freelancers Union cause, so we want to make sure that they get all of the credit for what they're doing. 
And yeah, and then from there, we have membership stewards who are able to help you with your onboarding process. We're actually in the process of putting together an AI chatbot who can talk to you, cool. answer your questions with all the, you know, the, the things that people need to know. And there's a lot of them and they're different for everyone. We're going to put together a chatbot to answer all of those things through using very cutting edge AI technologies. Is, That's out soon. Is the, but for, 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 the, for the short term, freelancersunion.org, find the Opolis link, come check us out and talk to us about joining. It's, it, it's definitely not a decision you'll regret. Is the, um, is the AI chatbot going to have my face? <laughs> you know what we could we could we could, we could do that josh yeah we'll we'll see we'll see what, what we got there's the one more thing that i'd want to add to to your answer john is that there's no waiting period i don't think we talked about this a lot of new employers uh, will give you like a 30 or 90 day waiting period or the exchange will make you wait another month if you miss a deadline um, yeah uh, i think if you sign up by christmas you can get your health insurance start january 1st you can so if you join now, it always starts at the first of the full month of which you start, right? So January 1, for anybody in December coming in, January 1 is the date. And that will give you coverage for the whole year. But there are no waiting periods. Even if you decide to wait till January 10th or something, like, eh, you know, my state doesn't make me do it until mid-January, you can still join and you can still start February 1. So there's mm-hmm. no 60-day waiting periods. There's no any of that, those games. Those are insurance games that people play try to minimize cost and like, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a budget management thing, but because our members pay for their healthcare insurance, we don't play any of those games. We just give you the coverage, right? You pay for it, you get it. And, yep. you know, we're self-insured. So we do have to manage the pool and we have to make sure everybody's, you know, playing well in the pool. But so far we've been able to do that pretty well. We have a great membership and uh, a very conscientious one. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you join. And then Raphael, we'd love to hear about any resources or tools offered by the Freelancers Union that our listeners should take advantage of. Also, if there's any upcoming events or initiatives you'd like to highlight, that would be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we are at the end of the year, but we, we do have a, a lot of events that we host uh, for our members to be able to get access to you know, educational resources, uh, connect them to other fellow like-minded in, uh, freelancers who are doing similar work. So. If you go on our on our website, if you go to freelancerunion.org slash hub, you'll see all of our upcoming events that are designed for you. But really, you know, I just encourage anyone and everyone who's listening in, if you're an independent worker, become part of the organization. Your voice matters. And, and the more and the more voices we get consolidated under our umbrella, the stronger our needs will be heard by by those who by those decision makers, but also out those out, out those out in the private market who are thinking about creating products to serve you. So become a member. Uh, we're here to support you and looking forward to, to hearing your concerns. And if you are a freelancers union member who is a developer, front end, back end, designer, any kind of development, there's a really good hackathon that's coming up at the end of February, East Denver. Uh, highly recommend you come and hack. There are a lot of great prizes that you can win. Um, showcase your talents. Uh, you can go to ethdenver.summon.xyz to apply. Um, tickets are really expensive. John, how expensive are ETH Denver tickets? They're free. <laughs> they are free. They are always free. There's a nice little theme we have here in the free Lancers Union. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
Again, thank you both so much for sharing your knowledge and passion and for supporting the freelance community, of which I'm one. Um, we look forward to seeing the continued impact of your work. As always, to the unemployable community, I'd love to hear your reactions and thoughts to the episode. You can tweet at the show at Opolis with the hashtag unemployablepod. At Unemployable, I'll always be looking ahead to see what's on the horizon and bringing you top strategies for thriving in the new economy with freedom, flexibility, and peace of mind. I hope you got a lot out of this episode and the platforms that are empowering the independent workforce. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Your ratings and reviews help other unemployables find the show. Until next time, I'm your host, Joshua Lapidus, a founding steward of Opolis, co-founder of SporkDAO, chronic freelancer, and tenured professor here at Unemployable University. Mm-hmm.